We're finishing a series that I've entitled uh, Don't Believe It. Uh, we are all uh, infused with various thought patterns that get in the way of us being our best selves and most effective Jesus followers. We've been working through some of those thought patterns during the course of this series. So I'm so happy you're here. We're going to finish this up today. If you're able to uh, stand, we invite you to do so. If you've been with us, we've been following along for the last several weeks. We know we've been right working through this Job 42. Uh, ended with verse 10 last week. We're going to pick up there and add a verse to it. Listen to this. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Shout, twice as much. Then all his brothers, sisters, and former friends came and feasted with him in his home. And they consoled him and comforted him because of all the trials the Lord had brought against him. And each of them brought him a gift of money and a gold ring. Lord, open our eyes, our minds, our hearts, and just come close. Use this time of revelation to just transform us. Those who are here and those listening by podcast and video, in Jesus' name we pray. Shout amen. amen. And please be seated. So, for those of you who are just joining us for the very first time, let me give you a quick review in terms of where we are with this uh, as we walk forward with Job. The first couple of chapters in the book of Job tells us that he was a successful, wealthy, righteous man who had an ideal family. Out of nowhere, calamity came again and again and again, tore his life apart. Three friends showed up, and after seven days of grieving with him in silence, they began to essentially say to him, uh, Job, the only explanation for what's going on in your life is either A, God is dogging you out, or B, you've dogged God out in sin. And since uh, God is a moral being, it must mean that you've messed up, you've sinned. And Job protested his innocence, and at the end of the day, he ends up basically saying that God has dogged him out. By the time we get to around chapter 38, 39, God shows up and he straightens everybody out. He shows up, he says to Job's friends, uh, you're, you guys are totally wrong and you were brutal in your wrongness. Uh, he has done nothing wrong and I haven't done anything wrong. And he got them straight and he got Job straight. Man, you were innocent, you're right. Uh, but you cross the line when you say that I was dogging you out. Your theology is messed up too. At the end of the day, it's not either you or me. There's evil in the world. Tell the person next to you there's evil in the world. And what's broken out in your life reflects the brokenness of the world and the evil in the world. And then comes this fabulous text, verse 10. It says, when Job prayed for his friends, which undergirds Job's commitment to work through forgiveness for his friends. Shout forgiveness. So last week we talked very briefly about, we talked about uh, this notion that we believe that somehow 
we can hurt so deeply that we're justified in not forgiving. Shout, don't believe it. And we talked about how to work through forgiveness. So if, you, if you're dealing with unforgiveness, go back and hear that message from last week. And it says, uh, so after he prayed for his friends, God restored his fortunes. Then this is where we pick up the day. Then it says, and the Lord, uh, in fact, the Lord gave him, shout, twice as much, twice as, much. as before. Now, here's where it gets fascinating. I'm going to return to this in a minute. Let me give you the insight that we're working through. It's simply this. Here's what we often say, uh, either in action or in words. I'm over it. Heard that? Heard yourself say it? I'm over it. Uh, once you tell the person next to you, I'm over it. I'm going to tell somebody else, I'm over it. Shout, don't believe it. Don't believe it, don't believe it, don't believe it. I, my contention today that embedded in this text is some incredible insight that says to all of us that when life rips a hole in our heart, in our soul, that there are some losses that we never get over. Don't believe this notion, you're over it. Now, let me just back into this. The text is remarkable. It says that the Lord gave Job, shout, twice as much. Twice as much. Twice as much. That's verse 10. If you skip verse 11 and go to verse 12 and 13, it actually does the accounting. And if you compare uh, that verse 13 and 40, chapter 42 with uh, what we learned in chapter 1, you see that all of the livestock and the wealth has been doubled in the numbers that's there. And then you, you will note that he lost... All 10 of his kids in the first two chapters, God gives him another 10 kids uh, here in, in, uh, in verse uh, 13 and 14. So here Job is. He's surrounded by twice as much. He has, he's, he's doubled up on his wealth. He's got 10 brand new kids. Why in the world would we find in verse 11 a text that then says when his uh, brothers and his sisters and his friends, former friends, came over to feast with him, they ended up consoling and comforting him. Well, here's the short answer. Twice as much is still not enough to replace the irreplaceable. Let us take that out as we work through all of our relationship challenges and this and that. Just remember, twice as much will never be enough to replace the irreplaceable. Irreplaceable. That's the first. Second thing I want to note, you may want to write this down. The fact that Job was righteous and uh, upstanding and wealthy and successful and had an ideal family and life. And still calamity hits him, uh, reminds us of the insight that is so true. That is that loss is inevitable. We all will experience it more than once. But grief is a choice. And in this text, Job has chosen 
to grieve. Let me talk a moment about this notion of loss. We all experience loss. Right? The person's been in a job for 10 years and suddenly it's taken from it. Here in Silicon Valley, countless of people who've lived in homes all of their lives, suddenly they're living in uh, trailer parks and in shelters, the homeless. That's loss. Folk wake up and there's a terrible diagnosis and all of a sudden there's a double mastectomy or some other disease. That's a sense of loss. Some of us had loss in our childhood. We grew up, for example, perhaps in a household that, uh, where there was a, an unruly alcoholic parent and we totally lost out on getting to be children in that household in a safe environment. Whenever you move from one city to another to take a job, that's loss. Whenever you go through the process of aging, aging itself brings about loss. I'll give you an example. I, um, a few weeks ago, uh, I, went, I was in the barber's chair, in the, my barber. <laughs> yes, I have a mustache and a beard. I use a barber. Thank you. And I was in the chair, and he was working on me. And he said, huh, you have a couple of gray hairs. I went, what? <laughs> Can you do something about that, please? Eliminate. I was like, no problem. Pop, pop. A couple weeks later, I'm standing in front of my mirror, and I'm, I'm you know, trying to, you know, tighten up a little bit. And you know what I look at? I said, I see some more gray. I said, man, man, my eyesight may not be that good. I had to call my daughter. I said, come here, Lord. I said, do you see any gray here? She said, oh, wait, yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Run to bring the mascara. Let me know. <laughs> to die it or not to die it? That's the question. I didn't, I didn't. That gray represented loss, though. Right? It means that I've crossed the threshold. And I can't go back. Shall loss. So loss is inevitable, but grief is a choice. And many of us, in the name of being strong, both men and women... When we experience loss, we stuff our grief. We think that if we stuff it down far enough, it will disappear. Well, you're right. It will disappear, but it will not go away. Tell the person next to you, it'll disappear, but it will not go away. You'll lose sight of it. But it'll be there unconsciously working against you in all kinds of hidden and often dysfunctional ways. And so Job chooses to grieve. We know he did. Because those who went to feast with him ended up consoling and comforting him. But the third thing we notice, we look at Job, is, which is the basic thesis of this message, that... There are some large losses that we cannot get over. But we can grow through them. 
Everybody shout, grow. Grow through them. Now, what I'm suggesting is that some of us have fooled ourselves uh, in thinking that we've walked away from some, some huge losses when, in fact, they are still impacting our lives. And yet, there are some others of you that are very conscious of pain that you're constantly, that you're still dealing with from 10 years or 15 years ago. And you're asking yourself, well, why am I dealing with this pain? And, 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 and the answer I want you to get is just clear. There are some losses that you just will not get over. But you can grow through it. Now, how do I grow through it? Let me give you a couple of steps to growing through it. Number one, you've got to be able to acknowledge. Acknowledge it. To acknowledge it means to say, I'm hurting. I'm grieving. I'm not okay. So, let's practice this. this is, for some of us, this is challenging. Let's collectively do it together. In a loud voice, just say, just repeat after me. Uh, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. No, 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 no. You didn't Let's do it a little louder. Let's do it a little louder because we break through. Come on, shout. I'm hurting. I'm hurting. I'm grieving. I'm grieving. All right, tell the person next to you, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Okay. Took no much yet. But secondly, we need to allow ourselves to feel it, to feel the pain, to feel the anger, the confusion, the disappointment, to, to begin to ask those why questions uh, as, uh, 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 what, what's, Lord, why did this happen? It's to give ourselves permission to ask those why questions. And then we need to be able to express it. Shout, express it. Express it. Clearly, Job had acknowledged and had, was feeling it and expressing it. How else would the house full of people know that he needed to be consoled and comforted? To express it. That there's healthy ways to express. Perhaps Job was saying, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to see you guys. and I'm rejoicing over how God has blessed me with twice as much. But I just want y'all to know I still miss my first set of kids. Because twice as much is not ever enough to replace the irreplaceable. Expressed it. Speaking of expressing, I lost Pastor Rick Warren, who, after he lost his son, who took his life because of mental illness, talked about his own grief, and he, he said, he learned something. Complaining about God can be construed as rebellion. But complaining to God is worship. Wow. How's that as a definition for worship? That inside of your relationship with God, you, 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 you find yourself going to God. That's, that's chapter 11 when, when uh, Lazarus has died and his sister Mary comes before Jesus and she falls before him but, and falls at his feet and she says, Lord, had you been here, and she's angry, she's upset, and she's screaming, had you been here, my brother would not have died. Shout worship. That's Jesus on Calvary's cross declaring, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Shout worship. That's Habakkuk declaring, how long, O oh God, must I cry, and you will not answer. Even cry of violence, and you will not say, shout worship. You are being honest with God inside of a real relationship. And here's, here's something about, here's, here's what's unique for those of us who are Jesus followers, trying to work through our loss uh, 
with a God who's not abstract, but a God who reveals himself in his son, Jesus. We're reminded that when Mary threw herself at his feet and was crying, the shortest but most powerful verse in the Bible says, and Jesus wept. Even though he knew that in a matter of minutes he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, in that moment with the beloved Mary, he didn't just shed a few tears, he wept. And that is the invitation that he gives to all of us that when we're working through our losses, when we, if we can just trust him to grieve and to release ourselves into his care, we're releasing ourselves into the care of a God in Jesus who will not just watch us weep, but he weeps with us. And we find ourselves in communion with God as we weep together in worship. So express it. I'll end it here. This, this point, this unique insight Jesus says about grieving in Matthew 5 and 4. Here's what he says. He says, God blesses those who mourn. He says, that, that, there's, a, there's a blessing in grieving. No, there's not a, it's, it, it, it's not that he, that, that it's a, the thing that ripped our heart out, that's not what he's talking about, he's blessing. What he was saying is, there's a, there's a blessing in, in, in the gift that he's given us to help work through a ripped out heart. And it's called grieving, it's called mourning. He blesses those who mourn, why? Because as we begin to express our hurt and our pain, that's when we are what? Comforted. If you don't grieve, the door is closed to being comforted. And so for many of us, we've pushed it down. We've shut off grieving. And we find ourselves in a variety of dysfunctional behaviors. And we don't know that what we're really trying to do is to comfort ourselves. Grieving allows us that comfort. And then... Finally, not in weeks, oftentimes it's months, maybe it's a year as we work and cry and pray and process and worship and cry and pray and wrestle. Finally get to a point where we will have to accept it. So I can't change what happened. I can't fix what happened. I can't force God to respond a different way. God accepted in that context. You know, 2 Corinthians talks about this. Paul, the great apostle Paul, finds himself in this place. He has a thorn in his side that is, a, is an undisclosed, we think, uh, major disability he was wrestling with. And here's what he says. Three different times I begged, shout begged. Beg the Lord. Oh, I know I've been in this spot. Some of you know you've been in it. But beg the Lord. Take it away. And each time he said essentially no. But my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. And so he comes to terms with it. You know, acceptance is the place where we go from asking God why to we go from asking why to saying, now what? Now that this is the situation, uh, uh, how might I partner with God 
that some good might come out of this. And, and he finishes up by saying, you know, so I'll boast about my weakness because through my weakness, God is strong. Let me tell you a story. Her name is Bethany Hamilton. She was born and raised in Hawaii. She says that before she was three years old and before she started walking, she found her parents had her on a surfboard. So she grew up with a passion for surfing. By the time she was 10, 11 years old, she's competing in junior competitions. At the age of 13 years old, she had just finished surfing and just hanging out in the water on a surfboard with a couple of friends. And it's a 14-foot tiger shark, quietly, came under the water and ripped her arm off, just below the shoulder. The record is that she lost 60% of her blood before they got her to the hospital. She was in shock. She was stunned. Took her about a week to figure out what was happening. But she was a Christian. She, she had a faith that says that, that while God does not keep tragedy out of my life, God is able to help me rise above it. And there was a passion within her. And she remembered the verse uh, uh, that she had learned, which declared to her, uh, I, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, to give you a future with a hope. And, and with that verse reverberating in her, in her heart, and she remembered that the God who showed up in Jesus Christ is a God of resurrection that is able to raise us up against all odds. And she, so within 30 days, she was back on a surfboard. And, 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 and within two years, uh, she had won her first national surfing competition. Come on, let's give God a hand praise because that's the God we serve. So what do we see in this story? She goes, clearly she had to ask somewhere along the line, God, why? But ultimately she moves from asking why to accepting the fact I can't change it. I can't get my arm back. I can't reverse it. But I still believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I can ask or even imagine. So now what? Well, I'm going to get back on the surfboard and go ahead and be what God has called me to be. One arm and all. Shout now what? So we know we we take where we are. Everybody shout becoming. See, we're always becoming. Whatever age, whatever stage you are, you're becoming. When loss happens in our lives, it tends to do one of three things inside of our becoming. For some, it derails our becoming. We've walked away from the dream. Some of you have walked away from God's destiny for your life. You've just walked away. You've walked away from God because, because you can't understand it, can't explain it. So you've just backed off. It, the, 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 the tragedy, the loss has derailed your, your becoming. For others, it'll delay it. You haven't walked away for good, but you've just stepped back. You've just stepped back. And if you're in group number one and group number two, I just want you to hear God say to you, it's time for you to get back on the surfboard. 
for still others now. The loss informs my becoming. How, how does it inform? You see, because after I accept it, I then have to take that loss and that pain, having worked it through through prayer and worship and counsel and friends and small groups, having worked it through, I then have to take that loss, watch it, and reintegrate it back into my story, reintegrate it back into my narrative, reintegrate it back into my identity. Oh, this explains why the, the law shows up right here in chapter 42. It explains it, you see. You see, I understand why, why in chapter 3, verse 1, uh, while Job is in the fire of tragedy, he would, he would express his grief and, and say uh, and, and declare that he, he actually cursed the day of his birth. I, I understand why in chapter 6, verse 9, uh, uh, Job would be heard saying, I wish he would crush me, meaning God, I, I, I wish he, meaning God, would reach out his hand and kill me. That's how bad life has been. I, I understand why in chapter 17, verse 13, uh, he would express his grief by saying, my days are over. My hopes have disappeared. My heart's desire are broken. All my dreams are, are wiped away. I get he's in, the, he's in the heart of grieving in the midst of great tragedy, but it confused me. Why in chapter 42? Why in the victory chapter? Why in the twice as much chapter? Why in everything has been replaced plus more? We will still find verse 11 right there in that part of the story. Why do we hear his brothers and sisters and former friends came and feasted with him in his home and they consoled him and comforted him? Why is that there? If I had written it, I would have written it differently. When I got to the victory chapter, the way a lot of us, did, this is how we, we project our faith. When we got, I got to the victory chapter, y'all, I would have said, I would have wrote, uh, and he prayed for, and God restored his fortunes. Watch it. And his friends and the brothers and sisters came, and they came to feast with him, and they had a party. And then I would have skipped verse 11 and went straight to verse 13. Look at the ledger, come on now, of his accounting has multiplied. And, 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 and look at the kids that have come back. Let's give, let's celebrate, so forth and so on. But, 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 but what Job teaches is that, is that if you want to be fully usable by God, don't deny the pain. Don't pretend it didn't happen. Don't, don't suggest it's not a part of your life. No, you've got to rewrite it into the narrative. It becomes a part of the victory story. And his friends had to console him and comfort him right in the middle of his victory. Because his loss was a part of his narrative. It's part of his narrative. See, that's what happens to Brittany. Put Brittany's picture up there. Listen, I want you to see her picture. Don't anyone say she's, she's, she is living a blessed... Listen, the truth is she's living a blessed life, but she's not living a normal life. She cannot return. This is her kids and her husband. She cannot return to life when she had two homes. Every day that she wakes up, she, she, she's living with the reality of a loss that she will not get over. It's a reality. 
her newest she's she's gone on to write books and have movies done and she's been on Ellen DeGeneres and Oprah Winfrey in 2020 and she's married with kids and she's moving on with her life and and her most recent movie coming out is called Unstoppable And, 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 and she doesn't deny. She doesn't try to hide. As a matter of fact, when she talks to young girls today who are concerned about body image stuff, she tells them, look at me and learn that it's not who you are on the outside. It's who you are on the inside that makes all of the difference. And she uses her pain, and, and, and she, 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 she talks about her loss. It's a part of her testimony. It's a part of the power of what God has done through her life. But she doesn't talk about it as she being the victim. She talks about it as she living with her loss as the victor. Amen. She's still able to do exceedingly abundantly. She can still do all things through Christ who strengthens her. See, it's still more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. And do you know what? It is the loss. Not that, don't anybody walk around and say, well, God made it. He did not. But it is the loss of the arm that amplifies the story. You're going around here trying to cover up your mess, but your mess is the power of your message. The test you've come through that has left you with a loss is in fact the center of your testimony if you let it. But you've got to reintegrate it back into your narrative. Stop pretending. Stop denying. Stop hiding. Let me hustle to the end. The next thing we look at this story, we discover that healing best happens in community notice it says verse 11 his brothers sisters former friends the house is packed Job could have kicked them out because Job could have said I'm grieving get out of here no he welcomes them because among the jubilance and among the celebration, uh, but also among the empathy and the sympathy, and he's able to be honest and, and both rejoice and cry at the same time. Does anybody know that, that life will put you in a situation that you'll find yourself both rejoicing and crying at seasons? Yes. And they are there to speak hope into his life. See, the best happens in community. Church, small group. Let me tell you a quick story about Brittany. You know, they were doing the first movie called Soul Surf. And she was on, off the set watching them. And she grew up in church. I just, you know, Jesus is at the center of her faith. And so they did a scene in a movie about church. And it was the, the church experience in the movie they were portraying was so dead. She said it was like a funeral. funeral. So she stopped. She said, can I stop them? So they walked out on the stage. She said, listen, guys, I, I don't want to, you, you, this is like a funeral. This is not the church I go to. She says, when I go to church, uh, uh, I, I, I'm, 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 
I, 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 you know, I'm on fire. I'm lit when I go to church. Come on now. And, 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 and when I go to church, we're rejoicing and giving God praise. Come on, for what he's brought us through. And, and we're rejoicing and giving God praise. Yes, I lost my arm, but I didn't lose my life. Hey, oh, in my church, we celebrate. Come on now. We jump up and down. We, we're loud and noisy. And, and, and we're full of life. It's the resurrection power that's at work in my church. It's not a funeral. It's not a funeral. It's not a funeral. It's not a funeral. In other words, in the community, it was her family and her church and worship and perhaps some small group. That, and in this case, here, we have almost 60 small groups as you get in. And, and God works resurrection back into your life as you reintegrate your laws back into your narrative. And then lastly... Touch the person next to you say, it's about to get really exciting now. Touch them down. <laughs> I love this last point. When you read this, it's easy to misunderstand. You think the text is talking solely about stuff. Got his kids back. Stuff. Here's the ledger of how many animals he's got. Stuff. Here's how much wealth he's got. Stuff. The text is really talking about something deeper. Here's the insight of the text. When you properly process your pain, you end up with more and not with less. Did you hear what I said? Oh my God. Ask the person next to you, did you hear what he said? When you properly process your pain, you end up with more, not less. Let me, let me, let me just make the train real quickly. Let, you, 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 Job came out of his, his proper process pain with more of a commitment to relationships uh, and reconciliation. Let me, let me prove it in, in verse 11. Of course, we've said it multiple times. His brothers and sisters and former family members filled the house. But juxtapose that to a text in chapter 19 that, that has Job testifying to his situation in verse 13 while he's in the fire. Listen to what he says here. He says, my relatives stay far away. And my friends have turned against me. My family is gone. And my close friends have forgotten me. Now, keep those two. Put that juxtapose to verse 11. Now, let me just tell you. Before I met Jesus, this would have been my, my testimony would have been this. If I had been in a, in, my, in a fiery moment and all my friends left me, and I'm talking about what, what he said, my good friends, my family, and all that stuff, they left. And then when I get in my victory, I'm in my chapter 42, I'm in my triumph moment, and they're going to line up at my door knocking. Oh, no, baby, I'm going to open the door and say, why are you at my house? I don't know you. You didn't know me when I was going through. I don't know you now that I've come out. That would have been me before I met Jesus. <laughs> Just being honest. But Job doesn't do that. You know why Job doesn't do that? Because anybody who's nearly lost their life, relationships become more precious. Yes, they do. Right? The petty you kick to the side. 
reconciliation is a high priority because you, you, you come out on the other side and say, I don't know how much lifetime I have, so I'm not going to lose it. Come on now. Uh, being crazy. Come on now. I'm going to rise above it. more committed to relationship and reconciliation, he came out with more. More humble. He says in verse 5, chapter 42, I'd only heard of you, God, but now I know you. In other words, I, didn't, I thought I knew all the answers. I don't know. Matter of fact, the one thing I know is most of the stuff I don't know. And then, and then to be humble means he learned the value of having to ask for help. Here's what Brittany says. Uh, not Brittany, but Bethany says, she said, the first day she went out to try to surf, her dad went with her. And she got him fail, got him fail. And he came in to help her. She said, no, no, no. Stay away. But he wouldn't. He got close. And he just coached her with the words. To put your foot in the center, put your hand in the center. And she did it. And then she surfed to the beach for the first time. And she said she learned then that if she was going to grow through her loss, she had to have enough humility to ask for and accept the help of others. Wow. <laughs> you learn that when you have properly processed your pain. And then there's this sensitivity. Shout sensitivity. Job ends up more sensitive. Let me prove it. Verse 14 and 15, verse 13, they talk about the kids, right? Then here comes verse 14. The scholars are confused. They don't understand because what his first thing is, Job here names the girls, but don't name the guys. That's just unheard of in the Jewish context. Three names that represent a dove, that represents uh, anointing power and, and sweet perfume. The third one represents a, a kind of a cachet uh, case for your, for your makeup. And, and all of it underscores this magnificent beauty and, and high level of spirituality. He names the girls but doesn't name the guys. You know, in, the, in the biblical context, you usually name the guys but don't name the girls. Right? Because the women are marginalized. And then it says, in all the land, no women was as lovely as Job's daughters. But here's where it gets really powerful. It says, and their father, watch it, put them into his what? Whew. Along with their equality. What's going on, Job? In his context, uh, the only time women were put in the wheel was there were no brothers. She, he got the brothers. Why are you putting these women up here like that? But Job said, well, I had a Job experience. Come on now. Go back to chapter 19. Let me show it to you. Verse 14. Let me show you some of it. It starts with verse 7. He, he, he understands being on the wrong side of justice. I cry out, help, but no one answers me. I protest, but there is no justice. Come on. He understands about moving from the center to being marginalized. My servants and maids consider me a stranger. I, I'm like a foreigner to them. When I call my servant, he doesn't even come. I have to plead with him, please come. My breath is repulsive to my wife. I'm rejected by my own family. I, even young children despise me. When I stand to speak, they turn their back on me. Sign of the greatest respect. Disrespect. My close friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I, I've been reduced to skin and bones. 
have escaped death by the skin of my teeth. And what Job is saying, I used to be at the center of society, but my disease has pushed me to the margins. I used to be the one everybody looks at, but now I'm invisible. And nobody cares. That's how you treat marginalized people. Come on now. I used to be wealthy, but now I got to feel what it's like to be poor. Come on. I, uh, y'all ain't listening to me. I, 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 I used to handle life from the top down. I was the wealthy, the powerful one. And I reached down and I felt good about the favors that I was doing. But I had to deal with life from the bottom up where I needed somebody to help me. And I couldn't find any help. And so, and so Job's experience, come on now, of being marginalized. If Job was here, he said, of course, uh, it made me more justice oriented because I know I kind of felt like the women in my society, invisible, unloved, uncared for, overlooked. Come on now. And I don't want my daughters to feel like that. I, 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 I know what it's like to, to nobody to care for you. So I'm more generous. I'm more caring. I'm more justice oriented. Here's what my point is. Your pain when properly processed makes you more about loving others, being just to others, and caring for others, and generous to others. Because you have an ideal how they feel. That's where he was. Sensitive. Child sensitive. Properly processed. And finally, Shout gratitude. Oh, in here. You know, I, I, a few weeks ago, uh, I didn't like the picture on the website. My picture on the website. Get that picture off of there. So they get me a, a Ramfrey on our staff. I didn't know he was that good a photographer. They had me to dress up and sit down and say, I'm going to take all these pictures. Bah, 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 bah. And I looked at him. Wow. I didn't know I looked that good. <laughs> if, you follow, <laughs> if you follow the Facebook, my Facebook post, you know I posted one of those pictures. But I had a little citation below it. Because really what I was thinking about was when I saw that picture, my mind raced back to another time. And I remember as a kid growing up, I used to wear these caps all the time. And in the South, you're not allowed to wear any kind of hat in the building. But I'd go in the building with my cap on. He'd say, take it off! I'd take it off. As soon as I get past him, I'll put it back on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting in the classroom. And he'd say, take that cap off! i take it off. As soon as she turned her back, I'd just... <laughs> Finally, they would take my cap. They always take it off my caps. She thought I was being rebellious. But those of you who know that as a little kid, I was a little scarred. I wasn't being rebellious. I was trying to cover my shame. So when I looked at that picture last week, I remembered when I had to wear the cap to cover the shame. And then I thought I don't wear a cap no more. 
that it reminded me to be thankful. Come on now. It reminded me to be grateful. And, 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 and Bethany was here. She says every day she gets up and she lives. She, it's a day of thankfulness because she's just so blessed to be who she is and to be alive. Every day. When you've been Joe, every day ought to be a thankful day when you properly process your pain. Now, when you don't properly process your pain, you know what? You're liable to end up with less. You're less concerned about reconciliation and relationships. You're more about lack of forgiveness. Less. Shout less. You're less humble, but you're trying to protect yourself. Shout less. Uh, you're, you're, you're less sensitive to the pain of others because you're all about you. You're just trying to take care of yourself. Shout less. You're less grateful. You're more selfish. You're more tied up in your pain that you haven't worked through. And everything is a pain. Everything is a complaint. Finally. I think they don't know who wrote the book of Job. I'd like to think one of his daughters did. That's why they wrote the names. You know what they were saying? They were saying, Daddy could have chosen not to love again. Because when you lose 10 of your kids and you get 10 more, do you know it's hard to risk loving again? Because you might get hurt again. But daddy discovered that he could trust even his hurt in the hands of God's faithfulness. That is the God who showed up in Jesus, who died on Calvary's cross, who got it with all authority in his hands. And he says, you can trust even tomorrow's hurt in my faithfulness. And everybody said, give God a hand, praise.